Welcome to the Psych Central Show, where each episode presents an in-depth look at issues from the fields of psychology and mental health. With your host, Gabe Howard, and featuring Vincent M. Wales. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Psych Central Show. Vincent, what do you want to cover this week? Uh, let's talk about Mental Health Awareness Month. How about that? Seems fitting. It does. Every year in May, we've designated, we being America, has designated May to be Mental Health Month. And this year, of course, is no different. And one of the things that I think it would be really cool to discuss is, is not the, the why or the whens and the wheres, but what can the average person do to support Mental Health Awareness Month? Mm-hmm. Good idea. Sound like a good topic. So the first thing is, is I, I think that sometimes we get in our own heads and we think, okay, in order to help the cause of, of people living with mental illness, we, we have to march on Washington. We have to change the thinking of all of the politicians and, and we have, have a to, podcast. We have to have a podcast. We have to become bloggers. And I, I, I want to start much, much, much smaller. I want to talk about something that somebody can do within five minutes of listening to this podcast that will benefit people living with a mental health issue or their friends and families. Yeah. What do you got? Great. Let's brainstorm. I think one of the things that um, anybody could do at any time is talk to their friends, their, their family members about how they're feeling. Basically, you know, check in with them, with the people that, that you care about, you know, especially if these are people that, you know, have some sort of a, a mental illness to start with. But okay. it's not a bad idea for everybody. It's not a bad idea for everybody. So essentially you're just saying, talk about it. I mean, just be open and honest and, and talk about mental illness with your friends and family. Yeah. And well, actually, you know, I don't mean necessarily talk about mental illness, but I mean, even more basic than that, just check in and see how you're doing. You don't even even need to bring up any mental illness. It's like, how are you feeling? How things been? Let's role play this for a minute. Let's say that you ask somebody <laughs> how they're feeling, how have you been, and they start to tell you, let's say you're a person not living with mental illness. You know, you're not, okay. you, you do not yourself have mental illness, so you don't have that lived experience, but you decide to do this because somebody that you care about, you believe is struggling, or you know is a person living with mental illness, and you ask them how they are, and and that person starts to unload. That, that person starts to say, you know, hey, somebody has asked me about this, so they start to tell you how they're feeling, and as we know, Vin, the way that we are feeling can sometimes be be scary. And we've received a lot of the, well, just cheer up or your life's not so bad. But right. this is Mental Health Awareness Month and we want to be better at this. We don't want to ask somebody how they're feeling and then tell them to pick themselves up by their bootstraps because that would be insulting. So the person unloads and we listen. And then what do we say? Having some familiarity with what you should say and shouldn't say is is a great thing, too. And, of course, it's not going to help if the person just says, fine. I'm fine. I, I can address that one. Okay. I, I am I am a fine sayer. I, I say fine a hundred percent of the time. Because I I believe that in general people aren't really asking. I, I believe this is some sort of social construct that we have. I, I don't think that people really wish to discuss the weather with strangers. It's just it it's just the way yeah, we Yeah, but we're not talk. talking about strangers right now. Right. So if somebody asked me a question and asked me how I was feeling and I said fine. What I would like them to do is sit down for a moment and say, I'm sincerely asking. 
no, really. I, I really want to know. I'm not just making small talk. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. that would be my opportunity to open up. Of course, it would also be my opportunity to say, no, I'm fine and walk away and have that boundary respected. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's say that we get there. I'm going to I'm going to drive it right back home. So we get there and I unload on the person and their eyes are now huge because they're like, "Oh wow, that's that's a lot, Gabe. We didn't realize that you were going through all of this." And their knee-jerk reaction, of course, is to give some sort of I don't know, hang in there. I'm picturing the some kitten sort of hanging platitude. from the branch. Yeah. Yeah. What can they well, say okay. instead? Well, th- what they can say is, "How can I help you?" That's a good one. That's a good one. What if the thing that the person asked for help isn't something the person is prepared to do? Give me an example. Let's say that I say that I am suffering from depression and I'm really, really sad and I just can't be alone this weekend. Will you stay with me this weekend? And for your own reasons, you can't. You you have children at home. You have your own obligations. But the person Mm -hmm. was sincere and and you did offer. So you don't want to just say no and turn around and make it about face. Sure. Well, you can explore other options. You know, is there someone else that's close to you that that could come? You know, can your can your sister who lives an hour away come and visit you? You know, there there are all kinds of options that you can explore together. And you can also validate that person's feelings. You can say, I understand why you want this. Sure. Uh, you're you are not being unreasonable in what you're asking for. I just have my own constraints as well. People reach out all the time. There there's a sort of belief that people aren't reaching out and asking for help. We, we know in suicide prevention that when people say this, they get told that it's a cry for help. Just ignore them. They're being dramatic. Just ignore them. So it's better than average odds that the person has tried to reach out for your help before and that you just didn't notice. Validating that person's feelings is very important. And, and I think that's a good thing for people not living with mental illness to understand that we mm-hmm. really just want people to know that we care and repeating that well, frankly, frequently and giving us a hug if we're huggers would actually do a lot more good than I think people realize. I think so, too. Okay, so obviously you can raise awareness about mental health issues by talking about mental health issues with your friends and family. So that's a pretty easy one, and it's something that you can do within 10 minutes of listening to this podcast. But what's something that you can do that's uh, a little more advanced? Let's, let's, let's kick it up mm-hmm. a notch. Okay. Educating others is is a good thing to do too and there's of course many many different ways that you can do that there's literature that you can get to distribute um, from different places your NAMI and Mental Health America you know they've got plenty of literature that I'm sure that they would be happy to have distributed you can get a mental health screening and encourage your friends to do the same thing where would you go to get a mental health screening I mean obviously not the name and address since we're we're national but what types of places would you look for? You can do some online. There are websites where you can do mental health screenings online. And of course, then you can spread awareness of those sites via whatever social media you happen to embrace. An idea that I had that I think would be really cool is psychcentral.com has tens of thousands of articles about living with mental illness, about the, the uh, just... Anything as it relates to mental health and psychology is probably on psychcentral.com. So mm-hmm. obviously something that would be very easy to do is just to go through Psych Central and find some stuff that you like and share it. But I want to make it a little more personal. You could find something that you like on the website, share it to your Facebook, and put a paragraph above it 
put the link and then put a paragraph above it to why this speaks to you. For example, mm-hmm. when I was newly diagnosed and, and I was struggling and I wanted to use Facebook as a, a medium to get out to people, I, I found a lot of stuff on living with bipolar disorder that really resonated with me. And I would share it and I would say things like, this is how I feel at night and this is why I'm I'm worried about my illness and then I'll never get better. Please read to understand how I feel. Mm-hmm. And people did. And that allowed me to connect with friends and family in, in a way that, frankly, I was unable to via a conversation. Because, you know, face-to-face conversations can be scary. Yeah, they can. Let's see what else. Um, how about volunteerism? Volunteering in your community. Donating your time to help other people is almost always something that will benefit you and them. And volunteerism comes in many shapes and sizes. We all tend to think of volunteerism on a, on a grand scale, a large scale, but there are many places you can just volunteer for an hour. You, you mm-hmm. can volunteer for an afternoon. You, you don't have to, there's obviously volunteer opportunities that are week to week or even, even daily. But if you look hard enough in your communities, there's probably a place that you can just volunteer for a couple of hours, pick up trash on the weekends, mm-hmm. for example. It doesn't have to be mental health related. Just get out there and do for other people. Right. Uh, senior communities, hospitals, all sorts of places have opportunities for you. I'm a big believer in volunteerism. It made me feel a, a lot better when, when I was uh, newly diagnosed, but, but approaching recovery. So not the day after I was diagnosed, but one of the, the first long-term volunteer efforts that I got involved in was the Big Brothers and Big Sisters program. Mm-hmm. I, I like kids. I'm, I've been called a big kid myself, and I, I really enjoyed this a lot. And I was matched with a, a seven-year-old, and he was really cool, and I had a really good time with him. And now he's 23, and we're, we're no longer officially matched by the Big Brothers and Big Sisters program, but I still see him every other week, pretty much like clockwork. And it, it's been probably one of the greatest joys of my life, and all I had to do was agree to see him two hours every other week for a year. And I was able to extend that out. And I, I point this out because it's not mental health related. I I didn't call, you know, like you said, NAMI mental health America or do anything mental health. I just found a child that needed an adult role model. And we did frankly, very boring things. We, We played Frisbee in the park. And this has been one of the, probably the best things I've really ever done. You know, I'm, I'm right there with you. As you know, I, I, was a big brother myself. My little was 14 or just shy of it when we were, uh, when we were matched and, you know, we graduated from the program years ago and we still hang out regularly. Um, I consider him a good friend. So we picked a couple of relatively simple things to do and we've picked some more difficult th- things to do. Let's crank it up even higher. What's something big. I mean, let's, let's think, mm-hmm. let's think more grandiose. Is sure. having your own podcast or blog something that's <laughs> worth doing? Yeah, if you if you feel that that's something that you would enjoy doing, because you know if you're not going to enjoy it, you're not going to do it for very long. When it comes to blogging or podcasting, consistency really is key. So you really do need to keep up with it, you know, week to week, month to month, and ultimately year to year. However, if writing about your experiences is something that you want to do, you don't have to start your own blog. You can find bloggers that you like and submit guest posts. And this will allow you to get your feet wet and decide, hey, is this something that I can keep up with a few times a month or uh, weekly, etc.? 
And if, let's say, that you find out that it's not, you're going to have a couple of articles that are out there and published that you worked on that will live on the internet forever. And those have a tremendous amount of value. And for that matter, never, ever, ever disrespect the idea of just writing for yourself. Write it in a journal, never publish it. Show it to maybe right. a few good friends or show it to nobody. It, it's a very cool experience. And it's it a is. way to get started. Mm-hmm. It sure is. So if we are kicking it up a notch, how about becoming a suicide prevention crisis counselor like I was? That's a really good idea. Now, Vin, how long were you a suicide prevention crisis counselor? Um, about a year, uh, roughly. I'd, I'd actually have to go and look it up to be specific, but it was it was roughly a year. And you worked over the phones, correct? It wasn't in person. Correct. What's that process like? How do you become a suicide crisis prevention counselor? In my case, I found that there was a local a local suicide line, and there was a a course that I was required to take. And, and this was months of, of taking this course, by the way. It wasn't just a, you know, two hour online thing I had to watch. And then for a certain amount of time, when you are on the phones live, you've got somebody there with you listening to the same call that you're on, ready to jump in if you make mistakes. So it's, it's a training like almost any other kind of a job. So they're not just throwing people, kind-hearted people on the phones and saying, hey, we hope you can help. They're giving you the tools, skills, and education needed to ensure Absolutely. your success. Absolutely. So obviously they all work a little different. Google it to find them in your area. But the, the big takeaway is that it is a, it is a time commitment. And it's, mm -hmm. it was a rewarding experience that saves a lot of lives. Beyond that, obviously there's... There's usually mental health awareness, rallies, walks, events. Attending those have a lot of value, even if you know, there, there's critical people. And I'll admit, I, I'm one of these critical people that, that thinks that Mental Health Awareness Month is, you know, man, why do I have to have a month? Shouldn't we spend the entire year on this, et cetera? And I, I think that opinion does have merit. But all that said, during Mental Health Awareness Month, we have events, we have rallies and things like that. And while I do believe that the people there already understand it, and so therefore we're not raising awareness to them, it feels so good to be in mm -hmm. a room with people that understand. It, there really is, it, it's, it's invigorating. Being a mental health advocate is hard. It's really, really hard. So, you know, having a party once a year is, is, is worth it just for that. How do you feel about <laughs> that, Vin? Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Pick a cause, doesn't matter what your cause is, but being with a group of people, it just it amplifies everything that you're that you're feeling about it. There are some critics of stigma busting events, mental health awareness events, uh, awareness events in general that say that it's not doing enough to help people with severe and persistent mental illness, that it doesn't really reduce the suicide rate or homelessness, etc. And they do have a point in that Maybe it doesn't. I don't know the science behind how you would track it, but I have to say, as an advocate working in the trenches day in and day out, it's nice just to sit back with other people that just give me a hug and say, Gabe, you can do it. And I think that does have a lot of value in keeping me motivated and keeping all of us motivated. So I, I don't know how to trace that back in so that the politicians know that these are worthwhile events, but even in my cynical state of wishing that I didn't have an illness that needed an awareness month, I still have to acknowledge that if this is a form of self self care, what are your thoughts on that? That's a good point. I, I do agree with you on that. But I think one of the things that, and, and I, again, I can't say that this is 
definitely the the uh, the result of these awareness months. But take a look back at how the public dealt with mental illness, even back not even so very far back to when you were diagnosed, and then compare that to how the conversations are in society today, and it's an immense difference. We're not there yet, but improvement. Improvement is there, yeah. The improvement is is there. And this is somewhat of a personal story that that I like to share. When I was first diagnosed, it it, it really threw me for a loop. I, I didn't think that mental illness was anything that could happen to me because I was intelligent, articulate, and had a job. And I wasn't violent. So... As, as I've talked about on this show before, I believe that all mentally ill people were psycho, violent, crazy grunters. My family, unfortunately, thought the same thing. So we were scared, and we were looking for information fast, and I needed to have conversations with my friends and family that I never knew that I needed to have, so I clearly wasn't prepared for them. And then a local mental health walk came along. A couple years after I was diagnosed, when I started to get better, and I invited my family. And I invited my friends. I didn't say, hey, come to my house and let's talk about me living with bipolar disorder because that would be a very difficult conversation. I said, hey, come to this event with me. There, there's there's going to be some food. There's going to be some people. There's going to be music. There's going to be balloons. There's going to be walking. That's all you have to do. Come to a park on a Saturday morning. And they saw other families that were like ours. They saw other people that were like me. And there was just a lot of unspoken wisdom that was shared amongst the three or 400 people that gathered in this park on this Saturday in May. And that really kickstarted a huge conversation in my family. And my family's very normal. We don't talk about hard things because they're hard. We're emotionally stunted. This made a big difference for me personally. And I've heard in years later that it made a big difference to my family too, because we believed we were alone. We believe that this was only happening to our family. Mm -hmm. And I hear that a lot. I hear that so often. Obviously, we're not going to reduce the stigma of mental illness, help people living with mental illness, and make the world a better and safer place for the friends, family, and the people suffering from mental illness if, if we only talk about it in May. So, so clearly, we need to talk about this every month. I don't think that's really a surprise to anybody. So all of the advice that we just gave... All of the suggestions, all of the ideas, they work in June. They work in December. <laughs> they work all year round. We just tend to get excited about it and talk about it more in May. So don't forget this in June. Don't forget this in December. Heck, don't forget it in February. My name is Gabe. The other guy is Vin. This has been this week's episode of the Psych Central Show, and we will see you next week. PsychCentral.com is the Internet's oldest and largest independent mental health website. PsychCentral is overseen by Dr. John Grohall, a mental health expert and one of the pioneering leaders in online mental health. Our host, Gabe Howard, is a professional speaker, award-winning writer, and mental health advocate. You can find more information on Gabe and his work at GabeHoward.com. Vincent M. Wales is an award-winning speculative fiction novelist and suicide prevention crisis counselor. You can find more information on Vincent at vincentmwales.com. If you have feedback about the show, please email talkback at psychcentral.com. 
There are few words more misunderstood and misused than OCD. Imagine having unwanted thoughts stuck in your head all day, no matter how hard you try to make them go away, and then having to pretend that everything is okay despite having to feel crippled inside. That's OCD. One in 40 people suffer from it globally, but there's hope. If you have OCD and need help, you can get better with specialized treatment. NoCD offers effective, affordable, and convenient treatment for OCD and is covered by many major insurance plans. Go to NoCD.com to learn more. That's NoCD.com.